Welcome to season two of the In Plain Language podcast, presented by Malti the Blue Tiger Bilingual Children's Books. I'm Kelsey, your host, and I'm so excited to have the opportunity to share free language, speech, and learning resources from top experts across the nation with you and your family. Malti the Blue Tiger dual language books are available worldwide in English and Spanish and English and French. Get your copies online through Amazon, Target, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, and many other retailers. We are on a mission to help every child learn that their voice is unique and powerful. As a parent who's thinking about or already raising bilingual children, chances are you've heard quite a few things about this process, whether it's from friends, family members, or complete strangers on the internet. With the vast array of information on this topic, it can be incredibly difficult to know what's true and what's not. That's where sisters Nadia Granados and Brianna Santiago come in. Nadia earned her master's and doctorate degrees from the Language, Reading, and Culture program in the Department of Teaching, Learning, and Sociocultural Studies at the University of Arizona. She currently teaches graduate and undergraduate courses at the university level. Her research has been published in the Bilingual Research Journal and the Journal of Literacy Research, and she and her husband Isaac have three daughters, ages seven, four, and one. Brianna earned her master's degree in early childhood education from the Language, Reading, and Culture program in the Department of Teaching, Learning, and Sociocultural Studies at the University of Arizona. She is the founder of Cien Idiomas, bilingual preschool, and worked as a lead instructor for three years. She and her husband, Nigel, have three daughters who attend a dual language immersion school, and Brianna says that she has seen the positive impact firsthand that exposure to a second language in the preschool years can have on language acquisition in children. Nadia and Brianna were inspired to start Lingual Learner, an engaging Spanish and English preschool curriculum that you can do with your child at home. Subscribers get eight easy-to-follow bilingual lessons related to a monthly theme. Through their personal and professional experiences, Nadia and Brianna have come across several myths about bilingualism. They want to debunk these pervasive myths that many parents believe and that they did too in the beginning when starting their journeys in raising bilingual children. They say that their extensive research and personal family experiences have given them a deep understanding and new perspective on these three commonly held beliefs. Let's start with myth number one. Translanguaging, such as code switching or code mixing, is bad. When your child is mixing languages, they're actually using an advanced process to communicate more effectively, says Nadia. We have gotten the question from parents that they notice that their child is, you know, quote, mixing languages. Um, and they wonder if this is normal or they wonder if as they're speaking or interacting with their child, um, is it okay if they are mixing the languages? If they're speaking English, is it okay if they're saying Spanish words? Or should we encourage this strict separation of languages so that we don't confuse them? And so this idea of changing languages in a single conversation. It's sometimes called code switching or code mixing. Um, some people might refer to it as quote unquote Spanglish. Um, we don't particularly like these terms because they can have a negative connotation. Some people might see it as, you know, not being able to speak either language properly. You know, they might say, oh, they, they can't say a full sentence in either language or they're only speaking half of each language. But instead, we like to think about the term translanguaging. And translanguaging 
basically recognizes that what the speakers are actually doing is a very complex and sophisticated process. So they're using resources from both languages and they don't necessarily have that regard of what we would call these language boundaries, you know, between let's say Spanish and English, for example, but instead they're using elements of each language to communicate more effectively. So they have enough knowledge of each language of languages to be able to really navigate seamlessly between languages. And again, this is a very sophisticated process. It's showing how you can use all of your language resources to communicate. So as you have these two language toolboxes, you are using both to communicate effectively. And this is not something that is, that is bad or that we should um, discourage. We actually should see this practice as a very regular communicative repertoire um, or a tool that is employed by many bilinguals. Um, it's actually a very naturally occurring speech pattern in many communities, um, particularly communities who do grow up with um, bilingualism or multilingualism from birth. Um, and, and to just remember that it is rule governed, it's not random. So um, if you are translanguaging, um, a bilingual person will recognize, you know, ineffective translanguaging. So, you know, there can be a wrong way to do it. It still has to follow, you know, some of those grammatical features. And thinking about how translanguaging really represents a way to construct deeper understanding to make sense of a bilingual world. Um, so by developing flexibility in um, comprehending these diverse language systems, children are able to learn to interpret communication in deeper and richer ways as they're able to negotiate between meanings. Because of this, also don't be discouraged if you've tried a bilingual method like the one language, one parent technique, or only speaking the community language outside of the home, and it just didn't work out for your family. It is, it is challenging because, um, as, as they say, you can say that we're only going to speak Spanish in our home, for example, but somehow English finds its way in through the windows. <laughs> you can try to lock it out, but it'll find its way in because we live in a society where English is, is prevalent. It's going to be um, where you're hearing it in the community, in the grocery store, in peer interactions. And so when if a parent is trying to speak, strictly speak Spanish to foster that second language, to foster bilingualism, um, it can be very challenging to shut English out or to, um, it's very easy to slip into, into English, especially if that is your dominant or first language. Um, and so it takes a really conscious effort. And sometimes, um, you know, unless you are really, really emphasizing and focusing on that second language, it's, it's just very easy to slip back into English and um, to just kind of go on your day without um, having that, that exposure. And so, you know, the trick is you want something that, first of all, that the child is enjoying so that they're having fun, they're engaging with language, and it's not necessarily this tedious task to sit down and have language instruction that um, maybe is, is not a positive experience. So you want it to always be a positive experience. And to really just bring language into everyday context, everyday conversations in, in multiple settings. So 
of course, reading with your child or as you're taking a walk, you're engaging in a conversation about what you're seeing, et cetera. Um, those kind of daily tasks, you can bring in language learning. And we don't have to necessarily be too stressed about strictly following, um, you know, one parent, one language, or, you know, we can just really try to bring it into these everyday conversations, everyday contexts, and focus on it so that they have as much exposure as possible to the language because um, living here in the United States, you know, it's not a question of if they're going to learn English because, you know, most likely their schooling might be in English, their peer interactions. Um, but Spanish or a second language um, is not as much of a given. You really have to have a concentrated effort to be able to develop that. Just like your method for raising bilingual kids doesn't need to be perfect, you don't have to speak two languages perfectly to help your child learn them. That leads us to myth number two, that to be a true bilingual, you must speak two languages perfectly, which Nadia says is simply not true. Sometimes if you're going into teaching your children and you have this idea in your head, you can feel inadequate or intimidated. And so we have to really think about the fact that you know, no one speaks, reads, and writes in even one language perfectly. Um, and if you think about, you know, even what does it mean to be bilingual? Are you bilingual if you know a few words in a second language? Um, typically, the accepted definition is that if you can, you know, function in two languages, you can be considered bilingual. Um, but, you know, one scholar, Grosjean, talks about how it's a misconception to think about a bilingual as two monolinguals in one, meaning um, the assessment will never be completely parallel or equal. Um, so there's no line or cutoff point that determines whether you are bilingual or monolingual, um, meaning, you know, above this point, you're bilingual, and below this point, you're monolingual. We need to really think about it as this continuum of language proficiency. And that language proficiency will vary indefinitely based on many factors, and particularly based on language use. So how and when are you using each language? And so as you think about, you know, there's this term called balanced bilinguals, um, which is essentially saying that you have the same proficiency in both languages. You know, um, that's somewhat rare. You can have very high proficiency in two languages, but there's usually a dominant language and your dominant language can switch. So, you know, from birth to age five, your dominant language perhaps with Spanish, but then from then on, you enter schooling, your peer interactions were in English, your schooling was in English. And so then English becomes your dominant language. And so oftentimes, even people who might seem perfectly balanced in two languages typically have a dominant language, at least in certain spheres. So again, you could be a native Spanish speaker, but then when your schooling takes place in English, your confidence in writing a research paper or an academic writing might be, um, you might feel more confident actually in English, even if Spanish is your first language. So, so that's important to remember that just because someone is bilingual, you know, that can mean many things. There are receptive bilinguals, which, you know, those are bilinguals who might understand, but don't speak. This is actually um, not uncommon. Um, if you're a simultaneous bilingual, that means that you have acquired two languages since birth. 
And so the takeaway there is that, you know, it's not just if you are or you aren't bilingual. Bilingualism is, um, it's a lifelong process. So the trajectory of learning a language is never exactly the same for every child. Um, And we can always be encouraging and remember that we are always learning language. I mean, think about how even students who are monolingual English speakers you know, they're taking English class in high school and in college. So we're all constantly learning language and there's no end point. We're constantly taking in social nuances of how to use language. So we don't need to stress about you or your child speaking two languages perfectly. Um, We kind of just need to continue on this journey. Um, For children, we need to make it fun and engaging and to make language learning something that they want to do. Brianna says that recognizing this helped to take some of the pressure off her as a parent raising bilingual kids. I think it's helped, you know, essentially kind of leave a little bit of pressure for me. You know, I, um, English is my first language as it is with my sister, Nadia. Um, English is definitely our dominant language. We were, um, English was the language spoken in our home and we did attend a bilingual school. So we actually learned Spanish um, in our school setting. So from K to eighth grade, we were in a bilingual program, um, there in Tucson, it was, it's called Davis elementary. Um, and although we, um, we were exposed to a lot of Spanish in our home, just with our family, you know, our parents are, are fully bilingual. We have a lot of Spanish speaking relatives. Um, a lot of our extracurricular activities included mariachi programs, folklorico programs, a lot of our friends, um, you know, from Mexico, a lot of family members in Mexico, we were exposed to Spanish a lot. English was definitely our first language. And so, you know, as a parent, I think I have always kind of had um, a little bit of insecurity around the fact that, you know, am I really bilingual? I I speak Spanish, I can have a conversation, um, but I don't consider myself a native Spanish speaker by any means. You know, it's definitely a learned language for me. Um, It's definitely my second language. And so I think, you know, as I um, as I had children and, you know, contemplated, well, do I want to raise them, you know, bilingually? I felt, you know, do I really have the competency to be able to do that? You know, I don't have a complete, you know, it, you know, in my opinion, a, a full grasp of every nuance of the language. And I think as a parent, it's okay to give yourself a little bit of grace um, and just recognize that, hey, you know, it's it's a lifelong process for you and your child, Um And that, you know, you don't have to expect of yourself that you're going to speak both languages perfectly to be able to expose your child to that, to be able to teach your child that. And on the same vein, to not expect your child to be speaking two languages perfectly by the time they enter kindergarten. You know, I don't think that's um, uh, an expectation that's going to be helpful for anybody. Myth number three, you should always correct a language learner. There are ways to help kids learn correct grammar while still letting them experiment with language, says Brianna. We need to allow children the space to play with language and take risks. So in the research, um, risk-taking is correlated with success in language learning. So improper correction can actually lead children to be less willing to take risks. And so, um, you know, there is a place for effective correction, um, but it has to be consistent, conscious, and sustained over a period of time. But for the most part, we want to just let them play with language, let them develop in their in their own way, in their own process. And we don't really have to be too concerned about correcting them. You know, there are ways that we 
we can correct them if, if you would like. There's, there's explicit correction, and that's an example of that would be, you know, if a child says, I have two brothers, and the adult just explicitly, explicitly says, no, it's not two brothers, it's two brothers. Um, you can try a prompt, which is essentially where you're trying to help them arrive at a correct answer um, without explicitly telling them that it's wrong. So if a child says, yesterday I go there, the adult might emphasize you go and see if they can kind of recognize that it isn't correct and you guide them without actually telling them they're wrong or telling them the correct answer. And then there's a recast, um, which is a common um, practice used by many parents, um, even in, in one language. So if a child says, I go there yesterday, the, the adult might recast and say, oh, you went there yesterday. So they're recasting the correct use of the word. Um, you know, sometimes with children, they might not notice a recast. They might just see it as you repeating them and they might not kind of take note of that um, use of the word in a different form or a different tense. And so um, those are ways that you can correct, but but for the most part, um, that's not something that parents need to necessarily stress about or worry about. Um, children will grow and develop, and as they get older, they're going to figure out some of these grammatical um, processes and practices in just through everyday speech. But it's not something that we need to necessarily stop them in their tracks, correct them, and then have them keep going. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of In Plain Language. Be sure to subscribe, and if you loved this episode, click that five-star rating if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to support our podcast to continue reaching families with speech and language resources, please visit the link in our episode description. We'll talk to you soon on the next episode.